April 21st. Welcome to another edition of the 801. On board this morning, we'll have news, sports, weather, and time checks. I'm Kent Garrett. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20 in the Catskills, and we are streaming to the world on WIOXradio.org, on computers, or your smartphones. Plus, you can hear us at 107.5 FM on the SUNY Delhi campus. Coming up, the right-wing paranoia problem and why Fox News and the Dominion, Dominion settlement makes sense. Voting on the New York State budget is scheduled to start next week, hopefully. And alternative headlines from around the state and across the nation. We'll have those stories and more coming up. You are now on board the 801. Taking a look at the uh, headlines, time now is uh, coming up on 8.06. The state appeals court uh, released a decision uh, yesterday morning denying a motion from uh, Naaman uh, Hassan the operator of that limo company involved in the 2018 crash that killed uh, 19 people in Schoharie. Hussein uh, sued to restore the original uh, plea deal in the case that would have sentenced him to five years probation and no jail time. And uh, the state uh, Supreme Court Appellate Division judge uh, said that... uh, surprised everyone when he threw out the deal agreed to by uh, an earlier judge and ordered the criminally uh, negligent homicide and manslaughter case to go to trial. Today's decision comes after attorneys argued their side before the appellate division back in February uh, 22nd. And in national news, the uh, Dick Durbin of uh, Democrat from uh, Senator Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois, invited Supreme Court Justice Robert uh, John Roberts to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee to discuss ethics reform in the judiciary uh, reports that uh, Justice Clarence Thomas accepted undisclosed trips and gifts from a GOP mega donor. Uh, Republicans are uh, discouraging Roberts uh, from testifying. The Susan B. Anthony uh, list label lashed out at uh, former uh, President Donald Trump after he suggested that the question of abortion rights be left to the states. His, quote, uh, morally indefensible position marks a break between the anti-abortion movement and the uh, president who delivered uh, their greatest victory, uh, which was the uh, downing of uh, Roe v. Wade. And in November, uh, in a November 2020 call between uh, Ted Cruz and Fox Business host Maria Maria Martiroma, the Texas Republican, said that Trump's allies needed, quote, actual evidence to support 
the then president's election fraud claims if they wanted their challenges to hold up in court. The recording of the call was obtained by MSNBC uh, News. And uh, President Joe Biden with, uh, said he will formally announce his 2020, 2024 re-election campaign as soon as next week, according to sources. Uh, Biden has repeatedly said he intends to run for a second term, but advisors say he has felt the, a little need to jump into the campaign because he faces no significant oppositions uh, to his party's uh, nomination. Federal uh, prosecutors have considered uh, four potential charges against uh, President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, according to uh, NBC News, and it's up to the U.S. Attorney, uh, David Weiss, to file charges. But uh, two sources say that they don't yet appear to, to have made a, any the final decision. And in world news, the uh, United States is preparing to send a large number of additional troops to its military base in, uh, in uh, Yemen, in, in Sudan, uh, in case of an eventual emergency evacuation from Sudan of American citizens. Forces command, are commanded by two previously allied leaders of Sudan. Sudan. A ruling uh, council began a violent power struggle last week and it's thus far killed uh, more than 330 people uh, in Sudan. Sudan. And in the NBA, the uh, New York uh, Nets lost to Philadelphia 102 to 97 last night, and that brings that series to uh, three, three to nothing with uh, Philadelphia uh, in charge ahead. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, 91.3 FM, and we're streaming to the world on WIOXradio.org. Well, we begin this morning's uh, A Block with a look at what Chris Hayes from MSNB MSNBC calls the right-wing paranoia problem. He uh, breaks down the effects of the, quote, constant stream of paranoia presented by right-wing media. And he says, quote, the idea that America is a crime-ridden uh, dystopia, that that behind every corner or knocking on every door is someone who wishes you harm, that the young women, uh, that the young woman who uh, actually ac accidentally pulled into your driveway or the child who rang your doorbell on mistake are there to kill you, uh, unquote. Here's, here's what Chris Hayes had to say in his uh, piece. Good evening from Miami. I'm Chris Hayes. We're getting a clearer picture today of the motivations of Andrew Lester. That's the man who police say shot 16-year-old Ralph Yarl when he accidentally knocked on the wrong door. As many people expected, it has a lot to do with the right-wing paranoia machine and the damage it's doing to the fabric of American society. Now, Ralph Yarl thought he was going to pick up his brothers and went to the wrong address. Police say Lester then shot Yarl twice through the door. Miraculously, Ralph Yarl survived. Andrew Lester has pleaded not guilty to felony counts of assault in the first degree and armed criminal action. The shooting of Yarl is just one of many involving people accidentally making their way to other people's property and ending up shot as a result. In upstate New York last week, a 20-year-old 20, 20 woman named Kaylin Gillis was shot and killed. 
after her friends just pulled into the wrong driveway while looking for another friend's house. Kevin Monahan then opened fire into the car from his porch, killing Gillis. He has pleaded not guilty to a charge of second-degree murder. In Texas earlier this week, you may have seen this story, a group of cheerleaders were, were carpooling home from the gym. They were in the parking lot of a grocery store where the carpool met, and one of them accidentally tried to get into the wrong car. She thought it was uh, the car she was getting into. And then, according to a witness, a man named Pedro Tello Rodriguez Jr. got out of the car with a gun. The girls got into the correct car and tried to drive away, but Rodriguez Jr. fired into their car multiple times, striking two of the girls, one of whom was critically injured. He has been charged with deadly conduct, a third-degree felony. And in North Carolina, a man is hospitalized today after he and his six-year-old daughter were apparently shot by a neighbor after a basketball accidentally rolled onto the man's lawn. The young girl was released from the hospital, thank goodness, after a bullet fragment was removed from her cheek. Law enforcement is still looking for the man they believe to be the shooter. He faces multiple charges, including attempted first-degree murder. Now, it's a big country. Lots of awful things are happening at any given moment. But these stories, they've captured something because it, it, it feels like a disturbing trend. And it's something we've talked about on the show before. Earlier this week, I, I spoke about this idea that there are kind of two parallel ideas that are being pushed by the right-wing media and conservatives in general. The first is this idea that, that guns are an affirmative good, and not only that, it's necessary for everyone to have guns. The more guns, the better. People are being told they need to stockpile weapons for personal safety or to shoot at agents of the government, and that you have to have more guns than everyone else, so you can be the first person to pull the trigger if everyone's armed. That connects with the second message, which is just this constant stream of paranoia being fed to the American people. The idea that America is a crime-riddled dystopia, that behind every corner or knocking on your door is someone who wishes you harm. That the young woman who accidentally pulled in your driveway or the child who rang your doorbell on the stake are there to kill you. If you aren't familiar with Fox News or right-wing media at large, it's almost impossible to overstate just how much of their coverage revolves around showing images of people, almost exclusively young black men, committing crimes or acts of violence. It's just a near constant sight over and over and over again, looping videos of acts of violence happening out of context. In fact, when the Republican House Judiciary Committee made its way to New York, earlier this week to grandstand about crime in Manhattan. This is how Fox News covered the event. You leave criminals on the street, you get more crime. Patrick Lynch, the president of the Police Benevolent Association, said, police officers don't want to be sent out to enforce laws that the district attorneys won't prosecute. There are already too many people who believe that they can commit crimes, resist arrest, interfere with police officers, <clears throat> and face zero consequences. You see that? That's the, you've got a small box of Jim Jordan talking and then just looping random videos of crime in a split screen with, you know, Jordan spewing nonsense about out-of-control crime. So is it really any wonder that folks who consume that kind of media all day are, are paranoid? When we last spoke about Ralph Yarl and the case that happened with him, we didn't yet know all the facts, but it was already pretty clear that, or at least appeared to be, that Andrew Lester, the man who shot him, was the type of person who consumes a lot of right-wing media, and today we learned for certain that is the case. 
Lester's grandson, a young man named Clint Ludwig, has been doing interviews where he states in no uncertain terms that his grandfather is a far-right conservative who has had his brain poisoned by a constant stream of Fox News-induced paranoia. I feel like a lot of people of that generation are caught up in this uh, 24-hour news cycle of fear and paranoia perpetuated by some other news stations. And he was fully into that, sit and watch uh, Fox News all day, every day, blaring in his living room. And I think that stuff really kind of reinforces this negative view of, of minority groups and leads people to be a little, this doesn't necessarily lead people to be racist, but it reinforces and galvanizes racist people and their beliefs. Speaking to a newspaper in Missouri, Ludwig elaborated on the way his grandfather had this paranoid worldview reinforced by right-wing TV. Quote, he's become staunchly right-wing, further down the right-wing rabbit hole as far as doing the election, denying conspiracy stuff and COVID conspiracies and disinformation, fully buying into the Fox News OAN kind of line. I feel like it's really further radicalized him in a lot of ways. Going on to say, quote, and then the NRA pushing the stand your ground stuff and you have to defend your home. When I heard what happened, I was appalled and shocked that it transpired, but I didn't disbelieve that it was true. The second I heard it, I was like, yeah, I could see him doing that. When asked if he believes his grandfather's racist, Ludwig said, quote, I believe that there have been some positions he's held that have been bigoted or sort of disparaging, but it's stock Fox News conservative American stuff. It's anybody who gets an abortion as a murderer and fatherless black families, the reason why crime exists in this country. Now, to be absolutely clear, no one's saying Fox News is directly responsible for this shooting. Ludwig clearly believes that Fox contributed to the larger culture of right-wing paranoia that his, his grandfather was sucked into. Law enforcement have already said that it was immediately apparent to everyone that there was a racial motivation in this case. There's such a telling example of how Andrew Lester sees the world that has come out since then. According to the criminal complaint, Lester described Ralph Yarl as approximately six feet tall. He said he only shot the child because he was, quote, scared to death of his size. According to his family, Ralph Yarl's five foot eight, weighs 140 pounds. He's a child. When you're conditioned to live in a constant state of fear and paranoia, the way you perceive actual objective reality can become a bit blurred. Jamel Bowie is an opinion columnist for The New York Times, and he joins me now. And Jamel, I, I wasn't shocked to read uh, the description of the consumption habits of uh, Mr. Lester, um, because it, it seemed from afar like probably this is what happened. Yes, uh, as soon as the story broke as soon as I read about it, my immediate thought wasn't just right-wing media and the constant stream of fear and paranoia that's pumped out by right-wing media across the board, not just not just Fox News, so many different outlets, but also the entire gun industry and its mouthpieces and its publications and its allies are pumping out this steady stream of both fear and paranoia yeah. and fantasies, fantasies of defending your home against intruders, against crime, using lethal force. And so in that environment, this sort of thing is bound to happen. If you believe that media can influence people's behavior, this thing is bound to happen. Yeah, and that, that point about the gun industry, too, and the sort of fantasy, the dark fantasies that it is cultivating. I mean, again, you know, 
what are you going to use your handgun for, right? I mean, we're talking about, all, in many cases, we're talking about weapons that are not purchased for sports or for hunting, right? They're specifically right. designed to defend your home. And then the marketers have to set up the moment, right? The, the vision of the moment that you use the weapon that they have sold you. Right. They, they, they sell uh, a, a vision, a fantasy of someone, usually someone, you, get, you pointed this out about Fox's coverage, usually, you know, a young black man or someone who is going to try to invade your home or attack your family or do something like that. And then you, the, the lawful gun owner, the good guy with the gun, responds with lethal force. And I should say, although I'm, 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 I am pointing a finger at the gun industry here, I think you also do have to look at the broader context of American culture, right? This, this fantasy is part of yeah. American cultural production and has been for such a long time. Death Wish came out in 1973, right? Dirty yeah. Harry came out not long after. So it's, 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 there's a lot of this floating around in American culture and it's become maybe more acute in, the, in recent decades uh, and, and more virulent, but it is a longstanding part of uh, American cultural production uh, tied up in racial fears and paranoia. Yeah, and, and I, we should also note here, um, there, there's a sort of cultural aspect, there's a media aspect, there is, of course, the material aspect, which are just the prevalence of guns in America. I, this chart, to me, is something I keep coming back to, which is the spike that happened, uh, you know, during COVID, right? That's the gun sales, um, an enormous increase in just the amount of guns in, in people's hands that went along with COVID. And, and in some ways, it's striking to go through the four stories we named. You have a, a, a white suspect who shot a young 16-year-old uh, black uh, child. You have a uh, a suspect who shot a white woman. You have a Latino suspect who, who shot a multiracial group of cheerleaders. You have a black suspect who is alleged to have shot a white family. I mean, it, it's the whole across the, the, the coalition yeah. of American life, right? The, 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 the commonality here is that in each case, someone had a weapon and was using it. I think it's really important to think about our current environment with guns in terms of being a social experiment. It's not as if you know, guns have always existed in American life, right? But the saturation yep. of guns that we're experiencing in this moment is something new. And essentially what yes, we've been engaged correct. in the last 15 years since maybe Heller, the Supreme Court's ruling Heller in 2008, is this grand social experiment. And what happens when you just pump an, an entire country full of small arms with very little regulation? And you begin to, in fact, deregulate the handling and use of them uh, whenever you hold power for the Republican Party. And we're seeing the consequences. The consequences are not some sort of polite society hearkening back to some past era. It is a very scary and paranoid society that only increases the demand for more guns. It becomes a self-perpetuating monster of fear and paranoia. And that was a piece from Chris Hayes, and he's with uh, MSNBC News. I'm Kent Garrett. You're on board the 801. Now we go to the issue of creeping authoritarianism in the country. Yesterday, Republicans uh, made uh, another what Alex Wagner of MSNBC calls a or an unimportant and unpopular overreached uh, overreach yesterday uh, when they passed this uh, bill. And here she is to explain. This was how they introduced the bill in the House of Representatives. 
For thousands of years in human history, we have recognized as a species that there are women and there are men. Yet over the last several years, there has been a perversion in our culture by the enemy. And the left has completely embraced the lie to erase the lines of gender and to convince you there isn't really gender and that gender is fluid and can be whatever you want, whenever you want. Again, more lies. There has been a perversion in our culture by the enemy and the left completely embraced the lie. That was Republican Congressman Greg Stube yesterday introducing the first national bill to ban transgender kids from participating in sports using their preferred gender identity. Today, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives passed that bill with all Republicans voting yes and all Democrats voting no. Complete party unity on taking the war on transgender Americans and going national with it. To some degree, this shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's been paying attention to what Republicans have been doing at the state level. Across the country, Republicans have basically given up on the idea of small government. Instead, they now aim to expand the power of the state to coercively reshape society in their preferred mold. In Kentucky, Republican lawmakers banned the teaching of sex ed and any discussion of puberty at all until sixth grade. In Tennessee, Republican lawmakers passed a bill this week that would punish book publishers who sell any book to a school library that Tennessee Republicans deem to be obscene. Today, the Texas State Senate passed a bill that would force every public school in the state to prominently display the Ten Commandments in every classroom. In Iowa, a group of Republicans has introduced a bill to outlaw marriage equality despite the Supreme Court ruling that made it the law of the land in all 50 states. It's precisely those kinds of bills that are intended for the conservative majority on the Supreme Court should they decide they want to reverse that landmark decision. In Idaho, the governor has signed the nation's first abortion trafficking law. Not only is it illegal to get an abortion in Idaho, but driving a minor across state lines to obtain an abortion in a state where it is legal Doing that could land you up to five years in prison. Also in Idaho, conservative lawmakers have introduced legislation to ban all mRNA vaccines, like the ones that were used to fight COVID. Though The sponsor of that bill did recently update that legislation, striking a provision that would have banned mRNA vaccines for all mammals, which must make house cats happy. I don't know. Republicans are also trying to expand the power of the state over other local government officials. Look down in Georgia. That's where Republicans have advanced a bill that would allow state officials to remove local prosecutors if they don't like the job that prosecutor is doing. And that means if Governor Kemp signs this law, it would allow Republicans to remove Fulton County attorney Fonnie Willis, who is currently investigating Donald Trump for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. In Texas, Republicans have passed a similar measure, which would deny prosecutors the power to decide which cases they even bring. It would allow state Republicans to force prosecutions on things like abortion or voter fraud, even if the local prosecutors don't think a case is worth bringing. Now, none of these proposals are broadly popular with the American people, but Republicans are pushing them anyway. And they're giving themselves new powers to expand and cement minority rule in the process. The question now is, how do Americans fight back against a tyrannical minority? How do citizens fight creeping authoritarianism that is taking over the states? And now we, I'm Kent Garrett, you're on board the 801, and as uh, 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launched his presidential bid on uh, Wednesday. He did it in Boston, and a new poll was released that sees him at 14% against uh, the incumbent, incumbent uh, President Joe Biden, who hasn't announced, who's set to announce next week whether he's going to run or not. A survey of Democratic primary voters con conducted by the uh, USA Today Suffolk University between Saturday and Tuesday has the anti-vaccine activist and member of the Kennedy clan capturing a support of 14% of those who voted for Biden in 2020. Only 67% of Biden's 2020 supporters said they would support him uh, for the Democratic nomination over his current uh, challenger. So uh, the uh, the other person in the uh, race at this point is self-help guru Marianne Williamson, who has also who who also ran in the last cycle, and she has uh, uh, five percent, and uh, while thirteen percent of the people in the survey remained uh, undecided. Uh, here is more on that the RFK Jr. Uh, nominate uh, announcement and what it really means and how it will affect the political landscape. And here's a piece from the uh, Rising broadcast. Hours after officially announcing his campaign for the presidency, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. went on Fox News' Tucker Carlson tonight and elaborated on what he considers to be America's most pressing issues. Let's listen. I think that the general theme of my speech was this corrupt merger of state and corporate power, which has, uh, which has gotten, uh, which is turning our country into a corporate kleptocracy, into a system of socialism for the rich and this kind of a cushy socialism for the rich and this kind of brutal, um, merciless capitalism for the poor. Kennedy did not hold back on his sentiments about the nation's involvement in the Ukraine war either. Let's take a listen. Americans care about the underdog. They care about that kind of suffering. But the question is, why are we in the Ukraine? Because Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, said that we're there to exhaust the Russians. President Biden has said that we're there to, to, to deplatform, to depose Vladimir Putin. And if that's why we're there, and we're killing a lot of Ukrainians as pawns in a proxy war between, between two great powers. Here's one last thing I would say. Nobody talks about this. There's 14,000 Ukrainian civilians who have died, but 300,000 troops. The Russians are killing Ukrainians at a seven to one to eight to one ratio. They cannot sustain this. What we're being told about this war is just not true. Hmm. Powerful messaging, I got to say. He's been on a roll. His speech really hit the nail on the head of the corporate corruption that I think really motivated a lot of both Bernie voters and Trump voters. He, and he seems to recognize that this is the through line for so many disaffected voters. He says, uh, I, I give me a sword. I need an army, and it can't just be the party. I need Democrats, Republicans, and independents. I won't pretend to agree with you on every position, but it would make America a safe place to debate your positions, and I will give you an ear and an open mind. You know, he's polling at, what was it, 14 uh, percent in the Democratic—among uh, Democratic 
primary voters, which is is pretty good, actually. It's uh, it's sizable compared to the attention that, for instance, Nikki Haley is getting, uh, uh, despite not having much support at all. She's getting a lot of media attention. He's getting almost none. In fact, I think Fox News was the only media outlet covering RFK Jr. Obviously, he made an announcement, and then he was on Tucker Carlson's show. He wasn't anywhere else. In fact, the rest of the media, the mainstream media, to the extent they want to talk about him at all, it is to warn you not to talk about him. Let's play this clip from Aaron Burnett. Biden railing against vaccines, too. Even members of his own family are refusing to support him. Jeff Zeleny is out front. It was a political rally steeped in Kennedy family history with one critical missing piece, most of the storied Kennedy family. Today in Boston, as he announced a long-shot presidential bid, I am going to take back this country with your help. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. evoked images of his father and uncle as he bluntly acknowledged his siblings wish he wouldn't be launching a campaign to challenge President Biden. There are other members of my family who are not here today. With a famous political name, he plunged into the fringe of today's politics, railing against the safety of vaccines and what he calls corrupt corporate power in America. Men I, I thought it was funny they say, like, oh, yeah, if he, you know, his own family's not supporting him. Where were the other Kennedys? And at that moment, they're showing a picture of John F. Kennedy, who is dead. <laughs> he's not there because he's not alive. Yeah. Well, look, it has been the case that his uh, siblings have co-signed this letter years ago, uh, distancing themselves from some of his right. uh, feelings about vaccine skepticism. But it is really interesting in that in that clip, they go on to interview some people who attended the rally and they ask them the question, what do you think about the fact that his family doesn't even want to be here? The family doesn't even want to support yeah. him. They're really going with that line of attack and the vaccine it's a attack. dumb line of attack. And it's, it's the, really The family odd. attack. No, nobody, nobody cares that his family's not there. As you pointed out, the kind of relevant political Kennedys are no longer with us. Um, and it, it feels as though, it feels like a weird, like, tattletale sort of a line that <laughs> you expect people to prioritize an interpersonal family dispute uh, over other things. One person interviewed later in that Aaron Burnett clip um, was asked about the vaccine issues, and she said, well, honestly, there's a whole panoply of things that I'm voting on, and I don't have to agree with him on that to want to support him for other reasons. And I think mainstream Democrats who think that that particular line is going to land are really underestimating, one, how much these other issues like the war in Ukraine, domestic policy issues, environmental issues, um, and the like are motivating voters more. And also the fact that a lot of Americans are, in fact, mad at Donald Trump and Joe Biden for their COVID policies. And RFK seems to be, RFK Jr. seems to be one of the only politicians who has successfully leveraged a criticism of Donald Trump and the Biden administration both over the vaccine policies. He, uh, you shared this uh, tweet from Dan Rather. Mm -hmm. uh, the press should be careful about covering Robert Kennedy Jr.'s quixotic run for president so as not to amplify his dangerous conspiracy theories about vaccines. That is the approach that I expect the mainstream media to to take with him. Actually, if he starts doing better, if he's getting even better poll numbers, they will descend on him with a it is with the most gatekeeping kind of all the all the reporting will be about how dangerous it is for you to consume news and information reporting about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah, um, it well, will be yeah. it will be that it will be. And of course, you would never no one would ever say Dan rather would never say, you know, it, it is dangerous and unsafe to cover, you know, President Biden's speech about why we should fund the Ukrainian right. army for the rest of all time right. until no one is left alive. Uh, you would never say that's you know, 
dangerous. Joe Biden has his fingerprints on some of the most destructive policies that have ever come down the pike in American political mm -hmm. life, uh, from the crime bill to NAFTA. And it's ridiculous to be using this sort of framing. Including incorrect things he, he incidentally said about COVID and vaccines. Uh, uh, of course. <laughs> and look, I don't want to downplay either the the negative consequences of certain kinds of vaccine hesitancy in California, where RFK Jr., uh, I believe, lives, in, in that kind of like, uh, he's, he's married, obviously, to a Hollywood actress. Like, in that kind of those social circles, vaccine skepticism is very popular and has led to these outbreaks of horrible diseases like meningitis among children in school populations there. Um, and, 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 and volumes like we haven't seen since before we had vaccines. And kids are really hurt by this and they die and that's an important thing. But when you when you look at all of the issues that are facing Americans mm -hmm. and you put on one side Ukraine, you put on one side uh, environment and the betrayals of the Biden administration with the ConocoPhillips drilling in Alaska, you put all of the existential issues that are affecting the American public, Crony capitalism. Did you just hear, about, by the way, how the, in the Aaron Barnett segment they said what he calls corporate capitalism, what he calls crony capitalism, as if there's some subjectivity about the corruption of government. And put on the other side, eh, the guy thinks that vaccines cause autism. Like, I, I, this is serious. I'm not saying that there aren't serious implications of vaccine hesitancy. But I, I don't know on what planet you have to live to think that voters are going to take one single issue and that's going to cause them to ignore everything that they know and care right. about. When you have Joe Biden, he was literally accused of a number of instances of sexual misconduct, and the Democratic Party trotted out every woman from Kirsten Gillibrand to Stacey Abrams to say, nothing to see here, folks. If they were willing to ignore and not investigate, I'm not, I don't know what happened. Nobody does, except for the people involved. Mm -hmm. But to shut down the Tara Reid allegations without an investigation like they did, to expect everyone to fall in line, as Joe Biden was saying, sure. fund the cops more, as literally millions of people were in the street in the largest protest movement ever in Black Lives Matter in 2020, to, have, to hear him on a leaked phone call to every black leader in the country um, saying, you know, sit down, sit aside, it's your turn. I'm not going to do George Floyd justice in policing. It's Latino's turn now. And to expect everyone to fall in line and vote for him regardless and ignore all that but you think that oh vaccine has oh, well think... especially for biden especially on the sexual misconduct stuff look if i had been inclined to vote for biden i wasn't so i didn't have this dilemma if i was inclined to vote for him would i have decided not to vote for him because of for instance the tara reed accusation probably not probably i don't think at the end of the day there was enough definitive proof to change my mind even though i you know i found her credible i i, I like her views, she's had her on the show. I, you know, all due respect to her. Everything, not trying to contradict what she said, but it was a long ago incident, and there wasn't enough evidence for. I, I could see why you would not change your mind. But Biden's own standard for adjudicating these things, and the general liberal Democratic progressive standard, is believe there does not need to be proof. You believe it's because who would ever lie about this? So it should yeah. just be taken as an article of faith. That was how so many of these other Me Too incidents have been approached. That is what Biden literally said. That's what Kamala said That's what when Kamala she was said. running against so, Biden with the right. first accusation. So, you know, live, live up to your hypocrisies. Yeah. The Democratic Party taught voters lesser of two evilism. They exist because of lesser of two evilism. They would not be able to sustain without being able to say to voters, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, I know this this candidate sucks. I know Hillary Clinton sucks. I know that Joe Biden sucks. But you can't vote for Trump. You can't let Trump win again. Mm. So now they should not be surprised when voters, understanding that candidates aren't perfect, and sometimes you got to 
choke, choke down some beliefs that you don't like, are more than happy to do so when they look at someone like RFK Jr., whose upsides, in many people's view, are going to yeah. see much more significant than his downsides. Indeed. Time now is 8.43, and uh, we have a story from Lawrence O'Donnell on, the, on that settlement between Fox News and Dominion. Uh, and he makes the case and explains why it made sense uh, for both Fox and uh, Dominion. And he, he sort of addresses the, uh, a lot of people who were disappointed that it didn't go to trial and uh, that there was indeed a settlement. So here's his uh, piece. Today, Barbara Streisand wisely tweeted, while it is understandable that Dominion settled its defamation case against Fox for $787.5 million, the full airing of the network's lies about the 2020 election would have helped our embattled democracy. I spent a bit of today responding to tweets like this that included more than a hint of disappointment in the outcome of Dominion's case against Fox. And that disappointment is completely understandable because civil litigation is usually an inadequate remedy to the harm done. The first book I wrote was about civil litigation. It was a wrongful death case. The family was suing for the unjustifiable killing of James Bowden, a 25-year-old husband and father of two children. And they won. And what the family won in civil litigation for the loss of a husband and a father was money, because that is the only way a jury assigns blame in lawsuits. In the Dominion case, if the Dominion case went to the jury, they were not going to be able to order Tucker Carlson to apologize to anyone. The jury was only going to have a verdict form that allowed them to fill in the amount of money that Fox would have to pay for what the company did. And if that jury awarded an amount of money that the judge or an appeals court considered excessive, they can simply reduce that amount of money and reduce it dramatically. The amount of money Fox has to pay to Dominion immediately is the largest amount of money in the history of defamation cases in the world. For people schooled in civil litigation who were hoping Fox would lose, there is nothing to be disappointed about. I would have loved what Barbara Streisand calls a full airing of the network's lies about the 2020 election. I share her disappointment that we didn't get that, but it was impossible for that trial to deliver that. The judge ordered no cameras in the courtroom and no recording devices in the courtroom. So you were never going to hear Tucker Carlson or Rupert Murdoch's voice answering questions under oath. You were only going to hear me reading their under oath testimony from transcripts. And it is extremely rare to have any courtroom surprises in civil litigation, especially high powered corporate litigation like this. What would have happened in the courtroom is what the Dominion's lawyers would have asked they would have ended up asking exactly the same questions that they asked in the under oath depositions that they already took. And they have already been able to make public all of their best questions and answers with Rupert Murdoch in his deposition, where he fully incriminated himself as a full participant and in effect the leader of the Fox conspiracy to invite and support the lies about the election told by Rudy Giuliani and others on Fox. It might've been fun to see Rupert Murdoch hustled away from reporters as he entered and left the courthouse, but we're not going to get to see that. 
we wouldn't get to see anything else. On Twitter, Irish Eyes 2020 said to me tonight, Dominion caved. They claimed they had a slam dunk case, yet settled for less than half of what they sued for. Another thing to understand about civil litigation is the amount of money entered in the plaintiff's written complaint is never what they expect to get. It's always at least double what their highest hope is from the jury. So no, Dominion did not settle for half. Dominion settled for every penny that they could possibly get out of Fox, and it's real money that will be paid right now. Jury verdicts in civil cases are theoretical money that you have to chase for years and years and years to try to collect. The Dominion company is worth a tiny fraction of what it got from Fox in that settlement. It is extremely likely that if Dominion won that amount or more from a Delaware jury, that Fox could have successfully appealed the, that verdict as excessive and had the award dramatically reduced to, say, double or triple the value of the Dominion company. Judges reduce jury verdicts in civil cases all the time because the damages awarded by the jury have to make some economic sense. The jury can't just pick a huge number to make them feel good. So it is entirely possible that the jury could be completely convinced of everything, of all of the Dominion evidence presented in the case, and award Dominion a lower amount than Dominion is getting in the settlement. And there's absolutely no question that Dominion would spend the rest of Rupert Murdoch's life trying to collect that money if it was awarded to them by the jury. Winning jury verdicts in civil cases is difficult. Collecting the money the jury awards you is much more difficult. Just ask the people trying to get their money from Alex Jones, and those people are parents of children who were murdered who have the highest moral case against Alex Jones, and they are going to spend years and years and years chasing that money. When you settle a case like this, you get all of the money immediately. Fox is giving up and surrendering in the fight over the money, which is what the case is about. The people who are not disappointed in any way with this outcome are the people who work at Dominion, whose lives were threatened and whose lives would be threatened again when they would have had to come to court and testify under oath in this trial. Here is Dominion attorney Davida Brooke earlier today making that point in an interview with John Heilman. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of focus on all of the folks from Fox's end who are going to be required to come to court and be questioned. But there were also a dozen or so folks from Dominion who were gonna have to leave their homes, leave their comfort, come to Wilmington, Delaware, and relive the very, very real trauma that they experienced in the 2020 presidential election, and frankly, to this day, and deciding to not put them through that, deciding to let them stay at home with their families was a huge factor for my client and something that weighed very heavily on him in making this decision. That lawyer doesn't represent you. She doesn't represent me. She doesn't represent American democracy. She represents those people who were going to be forced to testify in this case. John Heilman asked Davida Brooke about the possibility of securing an apology from Fox in the case, and she said this. For better or for worse, the legal system, the laws of defamation, they're not set up to get you an apology. We could have gone to trial, knocked it out of the park, and we would not have gotten an apology from Fox. Yeah. We would have gotten a damages 
And so at the end of the day, that is what our legal system is set up to provide for. It's set up to provide for accountability and for justice. And when we had ticked those two boxes, we felt like we had done what we had come here to do. And what they did was a huge win. Those lawyers got a stunning summary judgment from the judge in this case, saying that they proved that everything Fox was saying about Dominion was untrue. The judge said they already proved that before trial. The jury wouldn't even have to decide that. And Dominion was very effective in their legal pleadings before the trial, revealing their condemning evidence publicly against Fox, including deposition transcripts, text from Tucker Carlson's phone about how much he hates Donald Trump, and emails from Rupert Murdoch about how crazy Rudy Giuliani is. Many people are complaining that the settlement will not bankrupt Fox. Well, legal judgments and settlements against rich corporations never bankrupt them. So if you were led to believe somewhere that that was possible in this case, I can understand why you would be disappointed by this. The coverage of American jurisprudence concentrates almost entirely on criminal procedure. All of the TV lawyer shows that the networks have been running since Perry Mason in the 1950s has, have always been about criminal cases. And the sense of satisfaction in, reach, in the reaching of guilty and not guilty verdicts in those cases, when you hear that verdict, you know that what you are hearing is much more clear and emotionally powerful and clear than it can ever be in civil litigation. Rupert Murdoch stupidly let his, led his company to the losing end of the biggest defamation case in history. The stupidity in the executive offices at Fox and at the anchor desks led to this outcome, which was completely avoidable. Someone at Fox could have said to the people hosting their shows, you can let Rudy Giuliani tell any lie he wants for as long as he wants. And at the end of it, all you have to say is, if that's true, this is a terrible situation and we're going to have to do something about it. And Fox never could have been sued because the host would have said, if that's true. Those are the legal safe words that save you $787 million. And everyone working at Fox was too stupid to know those legal safe words. Rupert Murdoch was too stupid to tell his people to use those legal safe words. And so Fox lost. And truth won. Time now is uh, 8.54. That was a piece from Lawrence O'Donnell at uh, MSNBC News. And taking a look at some other headlines uh, around the state, around the nation this morning, The Guardian reports that scores of right-wing extremists were defeated in school board elections uh, this, uh, past, this past month, April. Uh, it's a victory for the left in the U.S. And, and what Democrats hope could prove to be the, their playbook for running against Republicans in the year ahead. Uh, in fact, in Illinois, Democrats uh, said more than 70% of the school board candidates it had endorsed won their races, often defeating the kind of uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, plus culture war warrior candidates that have taken control of school, some school boards across the uh, country. And the Raw, raw Story uh, uh, website is reporting 
that on uh, that one of the uh, January 6th defendants opened fire on cops who had been sent to check on him hours after he had been told that he'd been charged or was being charged with participating in the storming of the Capitol. Uh, that was according to a news release. His name is Nathan Donald Pelham. He's 40 years old and he's from Greenville, Texas. He was taken into uh, custody after a standoff with uh, police that lasted nearly three hours and he's charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm in connection with the April 12th uh, incident that happened in uh, Texas. No injuries were reported in connection with that shooting. And the Albany Times Union has a report that uh, physician assistants who often do similar work to medical doctors but have less training or pushing for increased flexibility to practice uh, without doctor oversight, something that they argue is more necessary than ever as the healthcare industry faces uh, staffing shortages in, uh, for many positions. But the measure, which uh, was included in, the, in Governor Kathy Holcomb's executive budget, but omitted from uh, both legislative house budgets, it uh, seems to be losing steam as medical doctors push against uh, such changes in the industry. And the Buffalo uh, News reports that Buffalo Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin has cleared, been cleared to play football, and he says, quote, I plan, to, I plan on making a comeback to the NFL. This is like three and a half months after coll collapsing in, a, in sudden uh, cardiac arrest on the field. Hamlin has been able to be fully cleared to play football and is participating in workouts with his teammates uh, now. And Newsday, after weeks of stalemates and a fight over judicial nominations, there's a new momentum to close out the state budget package uh, some uh, envision that uh, they might be a deal might be reached in the next few days, possibly on Sunday, uh, or at least before uh, legislators return to the state capitol on Monday. Uh, and it is uh, 8:58 now, and that's going to be it for this edition of the 801.